Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaykum everybody. Um, I'm, uh, I'm happy today to here to present uh, to you some of uh, the work I have been working on recently. And um, so the work is about analy analyzing the seeming contradiction within about the ruling of living in a non-Muslim country, right? I'm sure that uh, everybody in this room has come across this question. Are we allowed to live in a non-Muslim country or not? This is a question that you have come across in your life whether you want it or not. I personally have practiced as an imam in France for five years, and that question used to come every week, right? I'm not exaggerating. Um, moved to the UK, did the same thing, practicing as an imam, and the same question comes again and again. Um, then uh, this uh, put me into when I had the opportunity to work on something that I wanted to work on, not a design topic, to choose to work on this particular matter, right? Why is that? As I say, one of the things is we have, as you will see, some seemingly contradictions within the evidence itself. So how do we come with the understanding that takes all of these evidences into account without, without disregarding dismissing any? And how can we come across with a good understanding of the topic without disregarding any of the evidence that are at first glance there, there are, that there are seemingly contradictions within. Um, just before I start, um, there is no contradiction within the Sharia. We all know Allah Should that have been from other than Allah they would have found in it much differences. But because it comes from Allah and the the, the revelation as well that comes from the Prophet there is no contradiction between the two. The contradiction lies within our understanding, within the way we look at things, within the human capacity of uh, embedding all of this information and coming with a coherent understanding. So this is uh, what I meant to by rephrasing the title. So the focus is to engage with these seemingly contradictions without dismissing any. What you will find in the literature, and I will talk about it uh, and I will talk about it later, is that in the literature, what you will find, most of the scholars who have given their opinion on the topic, they will look at uh, one side of the evidence, they will base their understanding and their ruling on that, on that evidence. But they don't give any explanation to why they, they, there are these other evidences that say the opposite. So what are the objectives the, and the motivation? The motivation is that there is a dilemma within the Muslim, within the Muslim community. And as I said, um, for us living in a non-Muslim environment, um, it is sometimes distressing to not know whether we are allowed or are not allowed. To hear somebody raising the voice that we are not, and to hear somebody raising the voice that we are at other times, it just makes the confusion even greater. So, and this is a question that, as I said, I have come across a lot. So what are the motivations? The motivation is come to a clear understanding about the topic, trying to embed as much uh, evidence as possible and trying to give them a coherent understanding, a coherent interpretation and ways of pushing away the, the, the contradiction, if there are contradictions. That's one thing. The second was to appreciate how complex it is when dealing with the uh, text of the revelation because too many people what they say is they look at one verse and straight away they think the topic is uh, Completely definitive the answer is this 
right? And we hear this in matters of aqaid, in matters of ibadat. Some people will just come across one verse and here you go, all of a sudden he becomes a scholar and he is just using that verse for his and, and advancing it as, he, as the interpretation. So this, if nothing, it will just show how complex it is to deal with the text of Revelation and how complex it is to embed and to take on board all of the texts of the Revelation without dismissing or, or disregarding any. The third objective that I have set for, this, uh, for, for, for that uh, piece of research was to prove the absence of the incoherence in the text of the Revelation. That what, through this example, through this analysis, that there is no contradiction in the text of the Revelation. As I say, just taking this analysis and coming, up, and coming at the end with a, understanding of the, a clear understanding of the topic. Right, somebody might object that, uh, but is this not something that everybody has talked already about? Is there anything that's going to come up to come as a, a contribution or a new um, research, new finding to the topic? I would argue that the ancient scholarship, when I looked at it in details, what I found is three issues. First one is the opinions are scattered all over the place. Some in the Quran, some opinions in the Hadith, some in the uh, some in fiqh. So they are scattered all over the place. Just the act of bringing all of this diversity, bringing all of this complexity together, I think it would have, I think the research would have been successful if it had just achieved that objective. The second issue that the ancient scholarship has suffered from is the scholars mainly who are arguing for, for one opinion, they use all the evidence they have on one for two, prove they are right. A lot of time they don't talk about any or they comment about anything on the other side. And that's what makes it so difficult because if somebody wants, and on topics like this, where there is a huge outcome on the and, uh, and a huge uh, outcome on the life of somebody, because t taking the ruling, for example, as, uh, as, as being forbidden to live in the UK, then you have to make adjustments to your life. And this is a huge adjustment. It's not a, something to take lightly. So you have to be convinced that this is the right action, to be, to be convinced that whatever the scholar is advancing, it is based on a, a good set of evidences. So this is the second issue that it has suffered from. The third issue that it has suffered from is, um, so I mentioned the issue of the, um, or scattered all over the place, the issue of uh, the scholars taking one opinion, not talking about the other opinion. There are other issues as well with ancient scholarship, but just because of the time of running, I will just talk about modern scholarship. What modern scholarship is about is more about very, very short, narrow fatwa that are given based, as I say, on an understanding of a set of evidences. I've just uh, put one here. Um, I. So I'll just read it and you can just make out of it what, I don't want to mention the name. I'm not interested in names. I'm just interested in the, how the, uh, how the uh, claim is formulated. Traveling to the countries of non-Muslim is forbidden except when necessary, such as tra treatment, trade, education for beneficial specialities. These abs and this is, and the fatwa ends literally there. There's absolutely no evidence on whatsoever on why it is the case, right? And given the huge consequence on someone's life, I would want to hear a verse from the Quran that says so. Well, I would not want to hear a hadith from the Prophet that says so, right? Um, all right, 
somebody might object that is the researcher well positioned to talk first of all about this topic? Am I not going to be finding in the evidences something to accommodate my own situation, right? Or as this uh, gentleman, Patrick White, he mentioned in uh, his book, Developing Research Questions, if you have something to gain or lose from your research, then you're not the right person to conduct it, if I'm rendering his text correctly, right? Somebody might raise that question, and uh, yeah, it is legitimate to wonder. But uh, the only way I can answer to that question is that uh, this is a religion. This is not a exact science done in a laboratory in which I'm going to gain money or gain status or gain honor or whatever it is. This is the religion of Allah. When you speak of that which you don't know, For me, the sin of making a statement on behalf of Allah that is not true is greater than living in the UK while I'm living in the UK, for example, or living in a non-Muslim country while I'm convinced that it's not, that it's not allowed, right? So this pushes away straight this objection. When, uh, before analyzing even the textual evidence that uh, has a great deal of uh, seemingly contradictions, the, when you look at the fiqh, from the time of Shafi'i, you can see the, the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah indicated that the imposition of immigration on those who can afford it is on the one who has been tempted about his religion. So, in a nutshell, he doesn't have any issue with residing in non-Muslim countries. Thus, his text, you can analyze it in more details, we don't have the time to do so now. Al-Wanshari on the opposite side, he said the one who can immigrate in any way and by any means is not ex excused and he is just unjust to himself if he chooses to reside among non-Muslims, right? In fiqh, you can already see that two opposite statements and two opposite, um, two opposite complete contradictions and complete opposite views. When you look at hadith as well, you go to the books of hadith that uh, Ahl-Sunnah would recognize. So amongst the six canonical books, there is Sunan al-Bayhaqi and Sunan al-Bayhaqi in which you will find a chapter on the permissibility of residing in the land of disbelief for those who do not fear sedition, right? In the book of hadith, a title saying that permiss permissibility and it lists all the hadith under in this chapter. When you look at Nasa'i, chapter on urge for the immigration, which is the opposite. So you can see that it's not just about fiqh, it's not just about hadith, the debate is well beyond these. Right, so let's just look at some of the texts, and uh, which might, uh, by the way, make you pack your bags and uh, go back to. <laughs> um, the, one of the mo one of the most cited evidence is this one, right? Um, one of the most cited evidence is إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَتَوَفَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ ظَالِمِي أَنفُسِهِمْ قَالُوا فِيمَا كُنْتُمْ قَالُوا كُنَّا مُصَدَّعِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا أَلَمْ تَكُنْ أَرْضُ اللَّهِ وَاسِعَةً um, so this says, indeed, those whom the angel take in that while wronging themselves, they will be asked in what conditions were you? They will say, five minutes. He's generous with me. He told the previous one, two minutes. Um, we were oppressed. In, they will respond. We were oppressed in the land. The angels will say, was not the earth of Allah spacious enough to make right therein? For those, the refuge is hell, and evil is as a destination. There are other, uh, there are other um, verses that I have cited. And uh, 
as I say, one of the objectives I have, uh, I have set for this research is that to encompass everything I come across. I'm not disregarding any. So I have extensively quoted all the verses that I believe they um, call for the urge for migration. So I'm not going to go um, on into all of those, but just to give you as well a flavor from the hadith, Prophet ﷺ, he said, immigration will not come to Anand until repentance comes to Anand. He said, immigration will not come to Anand until repentance will come to Anand. And repentance will not come to Anand until the sun rises in the place where it sits. Right? So this gives you a flavor as well that it is something that uh, the Prophet ﷺ is calling for. Prophet ﷺ, he said, ﷺ, he said, I'm free from every Muslim that lives amongst the idolaters. The companions questioned, why is that? What he said is their fires shouldn't be visible to one another. That's how they render it. Um, anyway, when in the extensive text, you will see that they have some issues with the, the way they have rendered the translation. Um, Right, um, besides these textual evidences, there are so many rational arguments that can be advanced. This just again is a flavor of the rational arguments that can be advanced on the uh, urge of for immigration. Some of these rational arguments are about the becoming familiar with witnessing the evils. You see evils to the point that it doesn't make anything, it doesn't, you, you, just, you are just familiar with it and you live with it and you accept it. That's one thing, leaving the Arabic tongue in whole or part. But this list just gives you a flavor of that. These are the rational arguments. What I have said for my research is not to look into these rational arguments for a pur on a pur purposely, because already the difference in the textual evidence is more than enough to cover before even going any further than that. So this is, uh, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just give uh, again another, um, Another, some, some of the evidences arguing for the permissibility, starting from the Quran, for uh, Allah Azza he said, Ya ibadi inna ardi wasi'atun fa'iyya yaf'abudun. Allah Azza wa Jal, he said, O oh, my servants who have believed, indeed my earth is spacious, so only worship me. And uh, there was another verse that I, uh, but I won't have the time to, to, because there is a context behind it. So, in the context of shahada, So this verse, when you look at the context in which it was revealed, it was revealed in, in, in the context of the death of a Muslim in a place that there was no Muslims to testify. And if it was something to be forbidden, Allah would have raised it. Because sukut nas, what we call in usul sukut nas, when the text is, uh, when the text remains silent on something, then it is one of the ways in, from which we can derive that, the permissibility. In the hadith as well, Prophet ﷺ, he said, There is no immigration after the conquest of Mecca. So, and uh, as I say, these are some of the texts that have really made me awake some nights. The reason is I, j I wanted to figure out why this, there is so much difference and how using the usul fiqh um, that we have in Ahl Sunnah, the ways of pushing the, um, the, the ikhtilaf nas, the, the, the differences in the evidence, how ca what methods, what ways can I use in order to come with a coherent 
understanding of the situation. Right, I'm not going to go into any further details because this gentleman is looking at me. Um, so Sheikh is more more generous. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> After adopting a methodology which was clear, which was in taking on board all the evidences, textual evidences mainly, um, and uh, a methodology that was defined for my for my for my research. That's what I came. That's what my conclusion is. So, the initial statement was that the immigration was permissible. Uh, the the living amongst the Muslims was permissible. At the time when the Prophet وسلم, at the start of his da'wah, it was permissible. There was no land anyway where Muslims could go. And when the Prophet وسلم, he saw in the land of Abyssinia a way for for his. Uh, for his companions to flee from the persecution, he has advised them to go there. So it was advisory at this time. It went from being advisory to being mandatory when the Prophet immigrated to Medina. And these verses are all about this context of migrating from Mecca to the Medinan context. Then it went back after the conquest of Mecca to the permissibility. And that's what I believe and that's what I uh, believe today is the hukum, which is the permissibility after the conquest of Mecca. And this is what, uh, this is what uh, Aisha, she said, uh, she said, there is no immigration today. A believer used to flee with his religion to Allah and his prophet to f for, for fear that he might be put to trial as regards his religion. Today Allah has rendered Islam victorious. Therefore, a believing one can worship one's Lord wherever he wishes. Right? I've uh, I've just tried to cover the main important point, but the text is quite lengthy.